3: As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't.
0: This is our revolution, it's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not, it's ours. And we will have it. Today is one of those days where we're not going to put a specific date on what we do because this is going to be one of our specials. I I always like doing these things. I I always like putting these together because it's a laser focused topic on some important issues. And and this one, quite frankly, this one, Along with the other ecological stuff that we talk about, when when we sit down and we start talking about ecology and we start going back through some of those old textbooks that were written back in the uh, 60s and 70s by the likes of uh, John P. Holdren and Paul Ehrlich and and these uh, individuals, that is valuable information that we present. Although this episode is going to be equally, if not more, valuable. I've been thinking about this one for probably just a little over a week. And the reason I've been thinking about that is because we actually have somebody who joins us once a week who lived in the part of the world that we're going to discuss today through that time. And I cannot impart to the listeners of the Western world, and I, I appreciate the the listeners that we have in, uh, in the Eastern part of the world, such as Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Poland, Hungary, and so on. Sorry if I missed a few. But I cannot impart the importance of what we're going to discuss here today. We're going to go through the process of ideological subversion. We've talked about this before, but it's been a long time. And not only are we able to assess what a former KGB defector said in an interview back in the mid-80s, but we're actually able to have that discussion with someone who lived it at that time. This is going to be something that you do not want to miss. Let's not waste any time ideological subversion. Where can we even start with this? There's so much that has transpired just over the last three years, let alone within our lifetime, just in the last three years. Bruce and I were having this conversation last night offline, and he says, you know what? I'm actually, I'm I'm glad that all this is going on in, in its own special kind of way. And the reason he said that is because the mask is off. You can see who they are. You can see what they're doing. They're doing it out in the open now. They don't have to go and make their little backroom deals and backstab each other in private anymore. Now they're doing it out in public. The entertainment industry, music, movies, the fine arts, academia, medicine, politics, business, banking, every single one of these institutions that I just named have been ideologically subverted from the top nearly all the way down to the bottom, most notably at the top. And by who? and for what purpose. Tonight, we're going to take a look at that. I will leave the floor open. That's my intro. I I will leave the floor open to you two gentlemen. Where do you want to start? Pavel, do you want to pick a starting point? Do you you want to pick a starting point? Bruce, do you want to pick a starting point? It's up to either one of you. I don't mind where we start because we've got a lot to discuss on this topic, and we're going to put a laser focus on all this tonight. So where would you
3: like to begin? I think uh, think we should um, kind of reset where both Pavel and um, the um KGB operative, like where they started, like, you know, how, how the beginnings of, so we kind of understand where they're
2: rooted from, if you will. Okay. So, um, first of all, hello, everyone. It's good to be here again. So this is a, it's a very heavy, heavy topic and I can't say it's any more personal to me really, even though I've seen things that other people haven't, then it's to anyone else because we're all victims of it. To me, my first recognition of subversion or or I would say a meeting with it or even finding out what it kind of means or feels like was in the mid-90s, I would say, I started seeing two things. It's, it was around that time I saw a lot of boxes with dead soldiers coming in and I saw a huge jump in syringes and drugs and homeless people, um, even for where they, you know, even for the areas that were already kind of really bad. I saw, I started seeing guys getting addicted to drugs left and right. I started seeing kids first, second grade being used as runners, you know, to get the drugs. And because of people, the, the adults, you know, I was around at the time, I started hearing all this crazy stuff, you know. To me, subversion started with imagination. The first crazy story I heard is, you know, there's, um, Plateau divide next to east coast of America, I believe, like under the ocean. Well, what I heard is, you know, years and years ago, someone drunk was saying, "Oh, well, I bet there's, you know, like nuclear bombs there, and that that's why if America messes, you know, with us or whatever, you know, we'll just blow them up, and the whole east coast will be, you know, underwater in ten minutes." Blah blah blah. So I'm like, "Oh, that sounds crazy," but what if it's that's right? And um, so a few years later, you know, and I forgot all about those thoughts. And a few years later, you know, I'm still a kid. I'm seeing on the news they're talking about how all the head family leaders in Afghanistan um, got together when, you know, Russia was still, you know, Russia was always a threat to Afghanistan and their way of, you know, life that, you know, same thing in Chechnya. So they decided to grow as much, you know, heroin as they could and, and basically send it all for free to Russia, just distribute it all through Kazakhstan to Russia. And I mean, that by itself probably killed, I mean, I don't know why this this number, I think it was something like 5 million. I could be off, but I think over the years, like that's how many young men never made it to their families, never created new families. At the same time, you have Yeltsin a few years earlier than that, dancing on TV with rappers. So this is like Russia right out of communist era. All of a sudden, you know, that we had no TV. Basically, we had, there was like two channels. Maybe now you have this new presidential candidate. He's not like in a suit on some big arena place no he's in the street drinking vodka and rapping he's appearing in all these rap videos like dude we never heard of rap these the, the the word you couldn't even say sex on tv not you couldn't show nudity you couldn't say the word you couldn't even assume it's a funny all russians know this joke it's just one there was no sex in soviet union taboo subject there was no no one had sex in soviet union it's hysterical yeah so yeltsin invested in rap They 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 had meetings apparently you know, getting together and like, well, what is the best way we can get to the youth? Oh, well, they like sex, drugs, rock and roll and American music. Well, what's popular American America now? Rap music. Boom. All of a sudden, we have like 10 Russian rappers going out. Ridiculous. So that's how Yeltsin got it. You know, he was the youth candidate. Yeah. Yeltsin and, and Afghani forefathers are responsible probably for, well, <laughs> where Russia is right now. You know, everybody likes to blame Putin. How many people try to annihilate, you know, Russia in the last hundred years, you know, people or nations or anything. I mean, Russians are getting picked off left and right. And not that Russians are, you know, Russians are the most perfect people in the world. I'm just saying that men did subversion freaking work in Russia, man. As people, fairly gullible. Russian people really are. So fast forward, okay. Young men are dying. There's no, you know, planes flying over, no bombs dropping. Television's going to crap. Most of it is becoming fake. Now this event really, really marked That marked in my head. When first free channels, first free media appeared in Russia, it was the NTV channel news. And I mean, they were just fascinating. And I mean, that was just the channel that we watched and the channel wars that started, which of course turned bloody. Channel one was always the government channel. So we first reversed one, then two, and then it went to four. And then five and six was already crazy. Um, I remember, you know, mom would pull out a good old set of pliers and you know, we'd use it to turn the knob. Um, yeah. That could not never break that remote control. So, anyhow, so in the middle of Moscow, um, there's this sort of in the middle, there's this giant tower. I don't ask me, I'd say maybe it's like fifty. It's a skyscraper size of a tower, but it's actually giant antenna. And like the coolest restaurant in Moscow, just like the uh, Prudential in Boston, it's pretty much on top of that tower. It rotates, but that tower, you know, it's 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 big enough. That it has all the um, main media stations in it. So is a like kid... like the one in Berlin. It's like the one in Berlin. Sure. It's like
0: this big mm. restaurant, and it's, it's, a, it's actually a TV tower. I've been up there. You can yeah.
2: see the whole city and everything, yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so, yeah. So being a kid, I was always terrified. You know, you imagine everything. I was terrified of elevators and, and heights and all that. And then on TV, we're watching, you know... Um, this, this this new truth channel and we just keep everybody starts seeing um, journalists getting assassinated there was this one gentleman his name was Listiev. half the Moscow went to his funeral he got shot in the head right outside you know in outside his apartment door inside the building that was the first big um what we called a uh, money murder something it's it's a different term but that was the first public assassination it was completely obvious and um, this was still pre-putin days along him other journalists started start, you know, literally started dropping left and right. This was a shock because all people all of a sudden became exposed to. The level of corruption on like even this kind of level like people knew that politicians were corrupt nobody realized just how much propaganda is on tv because we didn't really have much tv so what i was talking about that tower is i remember everybody there barricading themselves that, that the channel the journalists that would not stop broadcasting you know the crazy stuff that was happening i believe this was 94. But that's not really important. And I remember that that antenna on fire, that the giant skyscraper, and it's—I just—I mean, it kind of reminded me right now with nine eleven a little bit. I mean, but just that's the visual, um, that's similar. Yeah, there were there was so basically there there was a fire. There were people that would not leave the journalists that were so dedicated to the job. They literally would not leave a burning skyscraper just to not in in order to keep broadcasting at least what's going on, man. And that's one real. Real turbulent times picked up in Russia because when people lost, you know, first you lose all faith in communism. All of a sudden, this greater revolution happens. Then you lose all faith in the new president. Then you start losing faith in the media because you and then you lose all faith to everything. And that's when Putin came in, you know, at least at the time he cleans things up. And that's that's why Putin was so popular at the time. He really cleaned things up. He um, restructured Russia in a few ways and sent them towards more of an old school. Way of life, but that's that's years ago. So anyhow, that is my almost like say preteen young you know young young man introduction to subversion. <laughs> that's what I've seen.
0: That's um that's fascinating. I, I mean, I, I was trying my best, uh, and I I only interrupted one time, but it was just about the TV tower, and I'm I'm sitting there thinking, man, just keep going, <laughs> keep going. Uh, but no, it's that's that's unbelievable. I mean, I. I look at where I was at that time, and I think, you know, we're we're the same age, Pavel, and I. And I think, what was I doing at that age? I mean, I was I was wondering what I was going to have for for lunch, or I was worrying about uh, if I was going to make it to baseball practice, or if I was going to be able to meet up with my friends uh, at the weekend on the at the arcade or something. I mean, that that was what I was concerned about then. I mean, I was just a teenager. That was my early teens, and and I guess I I wasn't even thinking about, uh, about anything like what you're, you're describing. I wasn't even thinking about anything like that at all. Like I can't even try to compare where I was at that time in my life to what you guys were dealing with over there. I, I can't even compare to it.
2: I just want to make this clear. I did not have the hardest life of them all. And I did not grow up in the worst place in the world. I just want to make sure I'm not claiming that, oh, I've had it harder than anyone life at all. There's people right now that have a far harder life than I've ever had. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, 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 no. I I understand that, and I and I respect that completely. I was kind of I was comparing where you were to where I was, and I'm that's like night and day in in comparison. <laughs> I I can't even I can't even come up with something that would even possibly compare to that to see that. And I I guess to go through that at such a young age and to comprehend that uh, to to witness that and then to try and process it and comprehend it, being awakened to. I guess another level of, of what was actually going on behind the scenes in society within the power structure that managed everybody's lives. That's got to be an eye-opening experience. And then fast forward to today, as you're saying, now that I'm politically aware, I mean, I guess better late than never, I, I still don't consider myself to be uh, all that smart. I mean, I'm just the average guy. But seeing what we're seeing now, and then I, I go back and I and I hear these these stories from way back when, of people that were from where you're describing, were from the the former Soviet Union, or, or, or what was the Soviet Union at the time, saying, if you don't wake up to this, this is what's actually going on. If you don't wake up to this, this is how it's going to go. They were warning us back then. And when I say back then, that's not that long ago. That is not that long ago. Back then, they had a place to defect to. They don't anymore. If we don't wake up to this, that is how important this is. This is, I I can't even put this into a context that will resonate with the average person that is asleep. This is a matter of life and death, period. This is not a joke. This is not a game. This is where it gets real. This is where the rubber meets the road. And if you are not awake to it, you are going to get run over. That's how serious this is. I, I can't impart that enough. Just the last three years, I, I mean, I would argue even before that, but they are they are going foot to the floor. They, they're smashing the accelerator pedal in ideological subversion across the board. This uh, indoctrination of kids, this green energy transition to nothing, this innovation to nothing, this social credit score, this, uh, this hatred of different uh, races and culture while they tell you, don't be racist and be inclusive. How is this not ideological subversion? Mathematics basic mathematics, sciences, medicines, all turned on its head. How is this not us being subverted? I mean, this has been stuff that's been in the works for a long time. All this this nonsense has been going on with them denying, when I say them, I mean the health and medical establishment, them denying, and, and academia, you can throw that in there too, because they're the ones that do the research for it. That's the research arm for the health and the medicine establishment. Them denying reality, that has been going on for decades. We're just now seeing it. Now that means if we're just now seeing it, it's been in the works for a long time behind the scenes. Pavel, you saw that in the mid '90s. You said early to mid '90s. That was in the works for many, many years before that. You were just seeing it in the public for the first time.
2: Yeah, that—that's. I was seeing the results. Like I was seeing the beginning of the results, and you know the results never stop. I mean, that's the fun. This is this cannot be overstressed. If you kill your enemy, they lose a soldier. If you wound him, they lose multiple soldiers because, you, you know, someone's got to take care of him. Someone's going to protect, you know. Point being this, let's say you gas a nation and you kill half the man, you know, the rest are going to be really mad. If you subvert the nation, you are going to geometrically decrease the population for generations and generations. Would you rather have a piece of cake now or 10 cakes in 10 years. People can be patient, especially people in power whose lives are very comfortable and exciting. Um, They have all the time in the world, literally. I mean, okay, so should I go deep into this, like, right away? I mean, starting giving, like, examples, explaining things, or do we still kind of want to... Let's keep on the track that we're on.
0: Which way did you want to go? Because we're going to start this interview. We're going to start this interview here in just a minute.
2: So I'll tell you what, let's... This is... Mm -hmm. Yeah, go Go ahead. Tell me which tell me which way you want to go, and I'll see if we can work. I will just say okay. I will say one thing. I will just say this one thing. This this one little explanation before the interview, and then and then you can do whatever you want. We just go off that. This this goes along. Okay. So anyhow, here's a simple situation. If I am in life foreseeing that I am about to be trapped or tricked by somebody, or I'm getting set up, and I'm like, whoa, cool, I figured this out. Let's start thinking how I can avoid this trap, you know, figuring out who's the one, really, you know, and I'm basically getting counter trapped. At that point, I'm already dead. If that's how I'm thinking, I'm dead. If I'm th- if I'm thinking for one second, like, oh, I foresaw, you know, this bad thing happening, I can do something about it. If you think that's the event that is actually going on, you're dead. Because chances are that's the distraction. Chances are you already In some sort of a trap when you've been there for a while so you got to start going back five ten years thinking about events relationships and this and that you can't ever assume that what you see is the reality and you can't ever assume that your first guess at what it might be is even in the same aspect with what it really is either when you think subversion think before you were warned this was already planned out that's all i wanted to say I want to get to this clip, and I—I I don't know,
0: Pavel. Have you have you heard of this this gentleman? Have you heard of this this guy? Have you seen this interview before?
2: I have. I you yes, have. I believe okay. I have. Yes. Okay,
0: we've played this before. We're going to play it again because of the importance of it. It is. I, I cannot even stress how important this is. I have a copy of this interview, a video copy of this interview, and I've got it stored in two or three different places just in case for historical purposes, because it is becoming more and more difficult to to get your hands on. And I will get you a copy of it. Don't worry about it. But I've got the full interview. We're going to get into the stages of ideological subversion. Before we do that, though, we're going to play this interview of Yuri Bezmenov. Yuri Bezmenov is a, a former KGB operative in propaganda, And he worked for one of the, he was placed, I guess he worked for the KGB, but he was placed in one of the, uh, the mainstream media outlets over there. Um, I believe it was called, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the pronunciation, Novosti. Is that right? Novosti? Yeah. Novosti.
2: Sure. Yeah. That's the, it means, um, I'm not sure which exactly that doesn't tell me specifically which channel that just kind of generally means the news. Novosti. I think I could be mistaken. I think it's what we know as RT today. I, I think that. So Russia that's TV. the Russians. The, yes, that's the Russian television. Yes, sounds right. Yeah. The, yeah, we used to. Well, okay, now I get it. Back in the day when that was the channel, the only channel, and w- when we spoke of let's watch the news, that's what we. That was just the news. I got it.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. This was one of the propagandists for that organization. However, they sent him. To different places around the world. Most notably, they sent him to India. He took a specific liking to India, and he was a, uh, a young Soviet diplomat. Uh, they assigned him to the embassy there. He was to ideologically subvert the nation of India. That was his task. That, that's what he was sent there for. However, he was sent there as a diplomat to the embassy. He wasn't sent there obviously to be a subverter. However, he was instructed and trained in the ways in order in in ways to do that. Um, and that was the target at the time by the uh, the Soviet government was to ideologically subvert the Indian government and get them to flip to uh, develop a a Marxist ideology within the government itself and within the entertainment industry, the academics, um, the sciences, and everything else. That was his assignment. I'm wasting time here. We're first going to hear his story about how he defected to the West. He defected from India in uh, in the year 1970. Now, mind you, he gave this interview in 1984, fitting year but he defected in 1970. Think about the magnitude of what he's going to lay out here in this interview. And we're going to we're going to do this in segments. But think about the magnitude. In 1970, when he landed here in the West, he said he couldn't believe how far into subversion we already were. That was almost 2 decades before I was born. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So this is the beginning story of Yuri Bezmenov's defection, and then we will get into the stages. Of subversion
1: this picture shows the part of the building of USSR embassy and my supervisors on the left is Comrade Mehdi an Indian communist and on the right Comrade Mitrohin my supervisors in the secret department of research and counter-propaganda it has nothing to do with either research or counter- propaganda most of the activity of that department was to compile huge amount, volume of information on individuals who were instrumental in creating public opinion. Publishers, editors, journalists, uh, actors, educationalists, professors of political science, members of parliament, uh, 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 representatives of business circles. Most of these people were divided roughly into groups. Those who would tow the Soviet foreign policy, they would be promoted to the positions of power through media and public opinion manipulation. Those who refused the Soviet influence in their own country would be character assassinated or executed physically come revolution. Same way as in the small town of Hue in South Vietnam, several thousands of Vietnamese were executed in one night when the city was captured by Viet Cong for only two days. And American CIA could never figure out how could possibly communists know each individual, where he lives, where where to get him, and would be arrested in one night, basically in, in some four hours before dawn, put on a van, taken out of the city limits and shot. The answer is very simple. Long before communists occupied the city, there was extensive network of informers, local Vietnamese citizens, who knew absolutely everything about people who are instrumental in public opinion, including barbers and taxi drivers. Everyone who was sympathetic to the United States was executed. Same thing was done under the guidance of of the Soviet embassy in Hanoi, and same thing I was doing in New Delhi. To my horror, I discovered that in the files where people were, doomed to execution there were names of, of pro-soviet journalists with whom i was personally friendly pro-soviet yes they were idealistically minded leftists who uh, made several visits to ussr and yet the kgb decided that come revolution or drastic changes in political structure of india they will have to go why is that because they know too much mm-hmm. Simply because you see the useful idiots, the, the leftists who are idealistically believing in the beauty of Soviet socialist or communist or whatever system, when they get disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. That's why my KGB instructors specifically made a point never bother with leftists. Forget about these political prostitutes. Aim higher. This was my instruction. Try to get into into uh, large circulation, established conservative media, rich, filthy rich movie makers, intellectuals, so-called academic circles, cynical, egocentric people who can look into your eyes with angelic expression and tell you a lie. These are the most recruitable people, people who lack moral principles, who are either too greedy or too uh, suffer from self-importance. They feel that uh, they, they matter a lot. Uh, these are the people who KGB wanted very much to recruit.
4: But o- to eliminate the others, to execute the others, don't they serve some purpose? Wouldn't they be no, the ones they, they rely they on? They
1: serve purpose only at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in, in United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed they are not they are not needed anymore they know too much some of them when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Leninists come to power, the, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist, he was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karmal with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Munjibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The moment they serve their purpose, all the useful idiots are used either be executed entirely, all the idealistically minded Marxists, or were exiled or put in prisons, like in Cuba. Many many former Marxists are in Cuba. I mean in prison. So. Most of the Indians who were cooperating with the Soviets, especially without the uh, uh, de- Department of, of uh, Information of the USSR embassy, were listed for execution. Uh, and when I discovered that fact, of course, I was sick. I was mentally and physically sick. I thought that I, I'm going to explode one day during the briefing at the ambassador's office. I would stand up and say something, that we are basically a bunch of murderers. That's what we are. We, it has nothing to do with friendship and understanding between the nation and blah, blah, blah. We are murderers. We behave as a bunch of thugs in, in a country which, which is hospitable to us, a country which which with ancient traditions. But I, I, I did not defect, I tried to get the message across to my horror. Nobody wanted even to listen, least of all to believe what I had to say and I tried all kinds of tricks. I would, I would, I would uh, leak information through letters uh, or lost documents or something like that, and still I got no message. Uh, the message was not published even in the conservative mass media of, of India. The immediate impulse to defect was Bangladesh crisis, which was described by American correspondents as Islamic grassroots revolution which is absolute baloney. Uh, There was nothing to do with Islam and there was no grassroots revolution. Actually, there are no grassroots revolutions, period. Any revolution is a byproduct of a highly organized group. Uh, of conscientious and professional um, uh, organizers, but it has nothing to do with grassroots. In Bangladesh, it was nothing with grassroots. Most of the uh, Avami League party members, Awami League means People's Party, uh, were trained in Moscow in the high party school. Most of the Mukti Fauj leaders, Mukti Fauj in Bengali means People's Army, same as SWAPO and and all kinds of liberation armies all over the world, the same bunch of useful idiots. They were trained at Lumumba University and various centers of the KGB in Simferopol, in in Crimea, and in Tashkent. So when I saw that Indian territory is being used as a a jumping board to destroy East Pakistan, I saw myself thousands of of so-called students traveling through India to East Pakistan, through the territory of India, and Indian government pretended not to see what was going on. They knew perfectly well, the Indian police knew it, the intelligence department of Indian government knew it, the KGB of course knew it, and the CIA knew it. That that was most infuriating because when I defected and I explained to the CIA debriefers, they should watch out because East Pakistan is going to erupt any moment. They said I I, I was I was reading too too many James Bond novels. Anyway, so East Pakistan was doomed. Uh, one of my colleagues in, in the Soviet consulate in Calcutta, when he was dead drunk, he ventured into the basement to, to relieve himself. And he found the big boxes which said printed matter to Dhaka University. Dhaka is the capital of East Pakistan. And since he was drunk and curious, he opened one of the boxes and he discovered not printed matter, he discovered Kalashnikov guns and ammunition in there. Anyway, it's a long story. When I saw the, the preparations for the, for the uh, invasion into East Pakistan, obviously I wanted to defect immediately. The only thing I couldn't, I couldn't at that time uh, make up my mind when and where and how. One of the reasons, of course, you see, I was in love with India, I mentioned it before, I spoke the languages, I socialized with people, and I understood that I had to to act fast unless I want this beautiful country to be permanently and irreparably damaged by our presence. One of the reasons not to defect was, as you can see, I was living in relative affluence. Who the hell in, in, in the normal mind would defect and do what to be abused by your media, to be called McCarthyist and fascist and paranoid, or to drive a taxi in New York City. What for, what the hell for should I defect? To be abused by by Americans, to be insulted in exchange for for my effort to bring the truthful information about impending danger of subversion. As you can see, I was living in quite a comfortable conditions next to swimming pool where Indians were not allowed by the way. I was highly paid expert in propaganda. I had my family, I was respected by my nation. My career was cloudless. The third reason, how to defect with the family. To defect with the baby and the wife would be virtual suicide because according to law, that hypocritical law which I quoted before, the Indian police will have to hand me over back to the KGB and that will be the end of my defection and probably my life. Again, I cannot smuggle my wife because she was not quite sure what what I was doing. She was not that idealistically involved and she was definitely not in, in, in the total picture of what I was doing for the KGB. She would be shocked if I, if I uh, you know, put her in my van and, and drive her to American Embassy or elsewhere. That would be a greatest danger. So again, I had to defect in such a way that my defection would look as simple disappearance. And there were many cases like that when the Soviet agents simply disappeared either killed in action or thanks to their curiosity and and their close contacts with radicals. Some of them were killed by the Marxists, by the way. It happened in many African countries when the Soviet KGB were killed by Africans themselves. Not because they hated marxism leninism but because they were simply trigger-happy bunch of unruly characters. If you give them machine gun, they will shoot. And some of the Soviets obviously were not careful enough to protect themselves, and they got into embarrassing situations when they were shot at the crossfire between factions of of so-called liberation movements. Anyway, so I I decided, as I said, to study the um, counterculture. I decided this probably would be the best way to disappear. I socialized with characters like this on the left. You see, he's a barefoot American hippie. Uh, it took me quite a long time to study exactly what they were doing and how to mix with them. But eventually I did it. Most of Indian newspapers carried my picture and promise of 2,000 rupees for information about my whereabouts. But they were looking for the wrong person because they obviously tried to stop a young Soviet diplomat in white shirt and tie. And this is how I looked at the time of defection. Nobody could possibly think that the Soviet diplomat would be as crazy as to join a bunch of hippies. That's you. Yes, travel India and smoke hush. So I made it literally almost like a Hollywood-style detective story. Uh, From under the nose of the KGB in Bombay Airport, I landed the plane and I flew to to Greece where I was debriefed by the CIA. So that's his
0: story of his defection. Uh, We'll get to the uh, the stages of... uh of subversion here in just a moment. But a few things there of, well, apart from all of it, a few things there from what he said. Let's just start from the top. Pro journalists, pro Soviet journalists that they had inside of India, all marked for execution, all of them. They weren't useful any longer. And that goes for your academics, your film creators, your entertainers, your so called intellectuals, uh, whoever. They don't make it. I got some bad news for all you academics and all you uh, people in the media and all of you entertainers, all of you politicians. Historically speaking, as he said, it's the same pattern each time. You don't make it. He said very clearly what happens to those types of people, the collaborators, because they become the worst enemies. They become, he said, counter-revolute, meaning counter-revolutionary. When you become disillusioned, thinking that you're going to be the ones that come to power. Uh-uh, no, that never happens. I'll give you an example that's not mentioned here. Let's look at Cuba. He mentioned Cuba. Let's look at the revolution between the Castro brothers, Fidel and Raul, against Batista, who was the ruler of Cuba at the time. When Fidel wanted to move his armies into areas of the country in Cuba, when he wanted to have his revolutionaries take over, who did he use? Does anybody know? I'll tell you. He used young, middle-class university graduates. Let me say that again. Young, middle-class university graduates carried the messages of Marxism by Fidel and Raul into the cities, into the the countryside, carried his message of Marxism to ideologically subvert those parts of the country. When Castro's army marched into Havana and they seized power from Batista in the government in Havana, what happened to all of the people that carried his message, to all of the people that collaborated in the Batista government with Castro? To undermine that government, what happened to all of them? They were all lined up on the beaches of Havana and shot, every last one of them. You don't make it, Pavel. What did you think of the story of his
2: defection? I think, as unbelievable as it sounds, you know, he's just one of the many people that came up with really creative ways to get out. The gentleman is is um, he's, he's quite. He he appears to be very intelligent. Obviously, he's highly trained. He, and and you know, pretending a hippie t- to be a hippie is such a Good move because he didn't change just his looks. What saved or or the reason why he went for a hippies, in my opinion, is because being a pot smoking hippie is something so reverting. Like, you know, it makes it makes a KGB operative nauseous, just thinking about the hippie lifestyle. If he, you know, put on like a military uniform or pretended to be something, you know, a pilot, who who knows? I don't think he would have gotten away, but pretending to be dirty freaking hippie, yeah brilliant it's it's very clever specifically at a time that was just brilliant i think here's a okay so that's 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 clever i have something else that's kind of funny and clever to go with this it's it's kind of a famous story i don't really remember where i heard it but it it was it was some sort of a western journalist that wanted to see if it's true just how amazing this one russian famous farmer something is you know just just the pinnacle of communist productivity so he, he you know booked a tour with the government into Russia, you know, there's like 20 of them on the bus, all foreigners, and they're driving to the place and, you know, bus gets, it hits a pothole, whatever, a tire explodes. Long story short, you know, everybody apologized, they get their money back or whatever, and they end up going to another place, like a communist, you know, communist party or something, you know, to- totally opposite where they were going. Okay, so the guy went back home, he got disappointed. Five or 10 years later, he tried the same thing again. And the, and for whatever reason, he either went under a different name. I can remember there was some sort of a screw up that they did not know that he already tried to do this. So, long story short, same pothole, same bus driver, same excuse, same back to the freaking communist conference. That's, that's probably like the same a little people as well. Hysterical, probably subversion. the same oh, people. Yeah. The- <laughs> same ex- oh, that's what he said. He said the same exact like, people on the bus that were, you know, my comrade journalist, whatever, same driver, same pothole, same story, same apologies, absolute theater. I mean, mass, mass theater. Think about the, the, the crowd, uh, what is it? Crowd stalking that the kids are talking about? Yeah. Well, how do you feel if like 80% of people in your neighborhood are literally like, for some reason are screwing with you? You'll go out of your mind. And that's really easy to pull.
0: Can I ask you a personal question? He he mentioned something, and I've heard you mention it, it, kind of the same type of a situation, where he says that his colleagues in Calcutta stumbled into the basement to relieve himself one night after being drunk. And he noticed the uh, the crates that were labeled literature for the college. And he opened them up, and it was a uh, it, they were crates full of Kalashnikov rifles. And he said, anyway, it's a long story. Like That's the part of the story I want to hear. I've heard you mention similar things before. About finding like a box of uh, of Kalashnikov rifles, and you say, "Oh, anyway, it's a long story." That's the part of the story I want to hear. Why is it always a long story when it comes to a box of Kalashnikov rifles to a to a Russian? Why it's always a long story? <laughs> um, is it because there's so many so many ways that you could have ended up at that position in the first place,
2: or is it <laughs> why is it always a long story? Why all of a sudden there's Kalashnikovs where they shouldn't be? Um, well, it, it, first of all, what a is a, a Kalashnikov? Question. It's it is, I, I totally understand. I totally understand. I'm trying to explain. Well, w- think about who, what kind of people would have the power to smuggle that in? A, who would have the ability to completely in-secret manufacture boxes and fill them full of AKs. Probably the people you're not trying to screw with. You know, you know those guys that get lined up and shot? If you find what, he, you know, what that drunk gentleman found, you're definitely going to get shot. Half the screw-ups, half the... Finds Half the incredible stories I hear have something to do with freaking amazing Russian drunk incompetence. Legendary drunkenness in the military, the politics. Awesome, awesome. I, I hope I told you the, the story about Stalin. He had this decision to make. He wanted to make some general, like the deputy principal of a giant county. And every, every other politician was like, hey, sir, don't do it. The guy has no limits. He's a horrible drunk. He does not want to stop. So Stalin invites the gentleman, he sits down, he pours him a tall glass of vodka, puts it in front of him, puts, you know, pour, drinks one, guy drinks one, Stalin says, would you like another one? Sure. Stalin pours him one, doesn't pour one himself. The guy chugs it down in a second. Stalin goes, would you like another one? The guy goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I know my limits. And Stalin used them. And he said, hey, listen, this guy knows his limits. One bottle of vodka per important, before important meeting is a good limit. It's a fair point. Anyway, I guess that was a long story. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. So, so the AKs. Okay. I mean, I don't really know how to how to answer your question. It's like everybody freaking knows that that things are happening. Everybody's terrified because that's what subversion is. You don't know. You don't even if you. You're trained to think if you can guess who put the AKs there, chances are you're wrong. And 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 maybe, maybe, were, maybe you were supposed to find them just to get shot. Man, it's it's a system of fear. Everybody's terrified of everybody around you because there are two specific qualities they look for a person before they get to you, let's say when you when you're a kid, loyalty and viciousness. If you have a trait of loyalness, complete loyalness, and you're a vicious person, intelligence can be elevated. You, you, anyone can be trained. But if you're loyal and vicious, you make the best people to have around you because they don't trust each other. They love their master. It, it's like having a bunch of dogs that can snap at anyone. It's almost like having a, any sort of thought in your own private head. That's how far subversion the communism and, and all this stuff gets into you. If you let yourself have a thought of like, wait, what if this is what's happening? It's like an automatic fear response in your own body. A, you're, you know that nothing is the way it is, and yet you're, you're afraid to even allow yourself to think that. So I don't, I don't know how to answer your questions about the AK-47s. They used to be in every duffel bag. You, you know, there's a lot of fear that is associated with AK-47s. They're not an execution. They're not like a, you know, a silenced pistol. AK-47 represents guys in ski masks. Um, AK-47 represents Putin's you know, assassins, AK-47 is a heavy, heavy tool that's so close to Russian soul. I mean, back back in the in the 90s, you know, early 2000s, if you saw a gentleman with a duffel bag, a young man with a duffel bag, and he had a leather, you know, jacket on or whatever, 100% chance there's AKs in there. Everyone is terrified. There were so many. AK-47 is the most weapon of mass distraction there is. I mean, AKs were used in every single you know revolution basically since since they were invented it's it's a it's a weapon of mass destruction because how powerful stable and practical it is i think
0: without answering that question you answered the question i yeah, think I, you answered it in the first in the first thing you said because when you find those things i didn't find those things if that's i don't want i don't want you don't you, know, know. you don't know i don't want you know. to know bruce you want to jump in there you want you want to jump in on and weigh in on anything i mean i, f- I feel like we're kind of monopolizing the time here
3: uh no uh I fully intended to just kind of sit back and let let the two of them explain kind of where they're found where they're coming from you know the foundation and get things rolling. I don't really have much to add until we start getting into the uh, uh, the different points uh, that we're going to go over today.
0: All right, so let's get into the stages of ideological subversion. First of all. We have to ask
4: the question, or we have to be informed rather. What is it? Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it?
1: Ideological subversion is is the process which is legitimate over and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my opinion, and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures active мероприятия, in the language of, of the KGB or psychological warfare what it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process, which goes very slow, and it's divided in in four basic stages. Uh, The first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students, in the country of of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s dropouts or half-baked intellectuals are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them they are contaminated, they are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind, even if you if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible to get rid society of these people you have you need another twenty or, or, or fifteen years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and and, and uh, common common sense people who would be acting in Favor and in the interests of the uh, United States society,
4: and yet these people who have been programmed and, as you say, in place and who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, Mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country. Most of
1: them, yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when when they will see in future what the what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They will will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, Obviously, they will join the links of dissenters, Mm. dissidents. Uh, Unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, Here you can can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda. For being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already uh, for the last 25 years. is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in the in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, no, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism process of
0: demoralization. Gentlemen, I think we're there. Are we not? 15 to 20 years, you could rope in just 9-11 till now. Just that. Mind you, he gave this interview in 84. So we're looking at, well, everything within our lifetimes uh, of us sitting around the table here. We've been subjected think, to this. Yeah, I think go late
2: ahead. 50s, I think late 50s is when, you know, after post-World War II, World War II kicked everything in got everything started i think it's post in the 50s where all this stuff really you know the ufo research the subversion this the psychic soldiers all that stuff you know all the crazy programs started because of cold war and that's that's what funded them um so let's say you know let's say i'm close to 40 years old if this was started pre my birth and the first stage is like 25 years let's say top she said so i've been in the next stage for like 10 years now i guess Five, 10 years, let's say uh, we've, we've already been in the next stage. That's if you become aware of all this in this stage, the first sign that you see is you realize you're completely different to all other people because to you, simple scientific facts matter, history facts matter, and other people just completely will say this is fake and then will point to something that they believe in and say there's no way this is fake. Objectivity is dead. W- what is morality? When you have schools getting shot by students, when you have tiny kids killing other kids, that's 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 demoralization. When you have the highest amount of people that are depressed and on antidepressants, that's demoralization. When you have the highest amount of prisoners, that's demoralization. When you have the highest amount of um, organizations that promote their views to such extreme degree that unchallenged, unchallenged I- views. Correct. It is normal. What became normal is being confused, pissed off, and tired. And that's normal. When I ask people, you know, I like my life. I really do now. I do. And so when I t- t- ask somebody, it's like, hey, listen, you do this, this and that like self, you don't, you know, you don't have good health. You don't have anything. Maybe you, you know, you, you should do this, this and this. Take a medical leave, you know, get this certificate in your life. No, no, no. I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything. This is fine. This is how everyone is. And I started hearing, hey, it's okay. Everyone is like this listen, guy, no one's happy. That's how life is. Everybody's got to work. Everybody comes home tired and then maybe has a day or two. That's how every, look, look at your grandpa. Did he have a, you know, did he have a fun life? What about your dad? Blah, 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 blah. This is normal. And for a while, I remember kind of feeling the same way. You know, I got demoralized. They, they, they definitely, I've been depressed. I have been depressed in my life for sure. Almost clinically depressed. I would say that's not normal. I'm a healthy, fairly young man. I should be happy, and I. Forced myself to get happy through all the things I've been telling you guys on this podcast. I realized I have a soul. I realized somebody's getting to it, and I did everything to sh- shut them off. That's what you have to do. You have to look yeah. through that. Listen, demoralization is when you don't wake up happy in the morning. Because honestly, normal people do. Even in even in places where it's horrible, a lot of people wake up happy. And most 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 of my friends, most people I know, basically, actually, everyone I know um, wakes up. Sad and nervous and upset and they usually jump on their phone and they start with day with a shock of coffee, um, um anxiety to make sure you're in time, um, followed by being stuck in traffic where you literally force your body to sit in what feels comfortable, but it's unnatural. It's not natural. Your day begins in hell and ends in purgatory before you go to bed and repeat. And it's that At that time at night when you're tired and you're in that purgatory and you know, you realize you hate everything about your life. Guess what? You do have the power to change it while still supporting people that depend on you. Just research, research, research ways to get out of the hole in a year or two. Don't think you could just change everything in a day. If you're like, if you're an adult like me, I have people that depend on me. I can't just disappear and go live in a jungle. Even I, i had been, I love, I would love to just go and live in a jungle somewhere. I'd love to. I really would. But I love my family and they love me. So it took me years to become happy. It took work. As much work as they put in to put you in the spot, it will take relatively just as much personal work to get out of it. It is possible. And the funny thing is, all of this is legal. Subversion is a distraction. That's all it is. Let's say you have a thousand documents out there that, that lie and one that is true. They're all out there. It's not like you cannot find this information, but it's hard. It's all out there, but it's hard put together hard to find. You know what's easy to find? Two things. One, how do I feel and have been feeling for a while now? Two, where am I? Right here. Let's start fixing this. So this feels better. And then we'll look around. If you don't know what the hell is going on, fix yourself first. Maybe you're not smart enough to see the big picture. Because that should be the constant self-state. I am not smart enough to understand everything that's going on around me. And that's how you keep getting smarter. You know why there's no such thing as a stupid question? Because if a stupid question is answered, that person is no longer stupid. There's only just so many stupid questions you can ask before you're not that dumb anymore. Start looking. It's fun. Yeah.
3: Um, We're in a post-fact society. Um, We've been in this um, state and demoralized state, if you will, for, I would wager probably three generations because you have the hippie generation, then you had the kids of the hippie generation, and now uh, you have the Zoomers coming up now that are all being uh, indoctrinated. And the thing is, it's gotten progressively worse they were demoralized in the 60s so that uh, you know that was the job was done and as he said there it's gone even further and and now it's gotten even further than it was back in the 80s now we're hypersexualizing now we're trying to completely annihilate our future generation's ability to reproduce or have a happy life and that you know that that's that's what we're willingly doing now it, it, doing to ourselves as he said and you, you can't, you, you want to bring out facts and statistics and numbers and, and you want to bring it to people and, and show them the truth and the facts and information and they, they don't want to hear it. They don't care. And, and then the, the other thing, uh, uh, demoralize, look at presidents that we've had in the past. I'll use Obama as an example. What did he do when he went around the, the world? He, he talked about how terrible America was and apologized to every nation that he went to uh, for America's behavior. So, yeah, the, the demoralization is complete, refold over.
2: Well, what did Obama get the, the Nobel Peace Prize for again?
3: Does anybody, um, add, I really don't know, honest question. Hey, I'll,
0: I'll tell you what he got it for. He got it for nothing because... Stopping missiles or
2: something. Yeah.
0: When, when you are nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, you have to be nominated two years prior to... And then you have to go through Uh. the whole process of consideration. And he was given it when he became president. So he was nominated when he was a senator and he did nothing. I mean, his his job prior to that. And, you know, I'm not knocking Obama voters or anything. I mean, you know, you want to go down that road, but we're not going to really discuss that today. But the guy like if you're going to give him a Nobel Peace Prize for something, in reality, what he got it for, for working a staple gun on telephone poles in Chicago, because he was that's all he did. He was a community organizer, which, quite frankly, Mr. Besmanoff actually mentions. He says grassroots revolutions don't exist. They don't exist because you have groups of community organizers organizing them. But that's right. You, you notice he said a couple of buzzwords in there that are commonplace today, Bruce. He said that in 1984, equality, social justice. Nobody knew what the words were back then. No hell, nobody knew what the words were 10 years ago. Equality. That's all you justice. have to do.
2: Introduce new words. Yeah, you literally can like go and TikTok in China, introduce the new really clever, clever term yourself and start, you know, start subverting China in, in simple terms. And that's how easy it is now. Yeah.
0: And of course, with our education system and the media, unchallenged ideas, unchallenged ways of promoting uh this Of uh, well, it's this whole Like, it's it's an absolute destruction of the culture in all forms. I don't even want to centralize it on one thing because it's all-encompassing. That's how they're doing it. It's an unchallenged way of teaching and indoctrinating the next generation in the schools and outside of the schools, make no mistake. And if you are one of these students in the schools that stand up and question this stuff, what happens? You're the one that's a problem. You need some counseling. You might need some climate counseling. Oh no, you're going to have to be uh you're going to have to be removed from the class because you can't participate because you don't think like the rest of the
2: group. Well, I just want to add this. Think of it as like you have 10 people. They have X amount of energy. If they have two options to do, you know, they will st- divide the energy 50/50 and both things will get done. If you just simply start introducing choices and promoting freedoms of all these, you know what I mean? More people, m- more choices, more destruction, you know, just just promote your crazy ideas unlimitedly, you know, you know, without a limit. And that gives you more options to become dumb. The next stage
0: after demoralization, you have destabilization.
1: The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, It's, what what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, And you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as as, uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I I could never believe it, 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world, that the process will go that fast. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in '68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation, in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C. with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of of new generation of Soviet assassins. Never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media and educational system, Trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. United States is in a state of war. Undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system. However ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy, whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. But you don't have to be paranoid about it. What What actually happens now, that unlike myself, you have literally several years to live on unless the United States wake up. The, the time bomb is ticking. With every second, the disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect to unless you want to live in Antarctica with penguins. This is it. This is the last country of freedom and, and possibility.
0: Destabilization, two to five years. Gentlemen, we're in that window right now. We're in the process of destabilization because we're relying on three things, as he said, economy, foreign relations, and defense. That's what we're focusing on. Economy, right? Do I have to tell you what's going on with all of our economies right now? I uh, think nothing. that goes without saying. Yeah, nothing. Uh, relations, foreign relations, uh, Ukraine, Taiwan. Just throwing a couple examples out there. Armenia, yeah. Where Speaker Pelosi was yesterday that the media is not even talking about, where she was holding private meetings. Armenia, yeah. Their little spout over there with um, with Azerbaijan, uh-huh. And defense. Again, uh, Ukraine, Taiwan. So we're in the window. COVID gave them a reprieve and it allowed them to do unprecedented things and take measures and step in and intervene in our economies when they otherwise wouldn't have done that or they shouldn't have done that. Hell, they shouldn't have intervened in 2008. They shouldn't have intervened in 1987. They shouldn't have intervened in 1971. And they've done all of these things. They've intervened when they shouldn't have. And each one of these things, there was a uh, there was a specific event in each one of these time periods that allowed them to do these things because we were in times of crisis. Now we're in a time of crisis where it's a permanent crisis. You notice when they declared the states of emergency for covid, they haven't relinquished any of that power. We're still in states of emergency. Biden even said all the pandemic is over, but he has no intentions whatsoever of ending the states of emergency. There's nothing apart from a bunch of excess mortality across the European Union right now. And what are they saying? We're going to need more power. We need more power because now we need to declare an emergency for the energy problem. It continues on. In the meantime, what do you have? What did he say would be promised? All kinds of goodies all kinds of everything. Oh, we're going to take care of the families. We're going to take care of this. We're going to take care of that. We're going to make sure that inflation's not a problem. We're going to make sure that you have this expense covered. We're going to make sure you have this problem fixed and, and that problem fixed. And we're going to do it because you can't do it. Never mind the fact that they will never deliver on any of that, but they're going to promise it to you. And the ultimate goal is to install a big brother government. And that's where we're headed. We are racing there at light speed.
2: We are at war, as he said. It's happening. You know what really, really hurt me these past few days? So in the past month, two people that are really close to me, one is immediate family member, got the booster um, against my advice. Well, um, the first person, it took them about a week to recover, even you know, a few days of hell. But this other person, they got the shot about eight days ago, and they're still in bed. Um, they almost lost their vision at this point. Um, everything hurts. Prior to the shot, this person was relatively healthy. That's all. So I hope they recover. Finally, from this uh, medicine. That's just facts of my life.
3: I would uh, look. At, I, I was thinking back as as he, as uh, we were going over that, and I was I was thinking because he mentioned the the the, the crisis. So you, you have to collapse the economy, the defense. You know, you, you get everything. You you bring it down. You you weaken it. Now we've seen this over time, progressively. Uh, you look at the economy as an example, the, the foreign relations, as I mentioned with Obama before, I, I think that was part of the foreign relations, how they were doing that. I kind of think there's, there's a little bit of, um, resistance, if you will, that, that's being met for this, this Marxist overthrow. And, and by that, I mean, I'm not convinced that a lot of the crises we've had within my lifetime weren't the crisis he was talking about there to try to get the flip and it's just not worked because Americans are too resilient they're they're fighting just just enough that it's slowing things down and causing a hindrance so they've progressively gotten more advanced in their attacks and and you know demoralizing even more and and they're destroying our economy even more and and setting up more of a centralized banking system more and and, you know, it it seems like they're progressively like, OK, well, it wasn't enough to teeter it over this time. Let, let's go a little bit further and try to push it over this time. Well, it didn't work this time. Let's go a little bit further. And they've progressively gotten bigger. I mean, early 2000s. Could you really go and buy a piece of land anywhere in a city and then put anything you wanted on that land early 2000s? No, of course oh, no. not. Big, big government would said, no, you have to get the proper uh, uh, authorization to do that, you know, the profit, and then you had to get clearance to to, to build the things, you know, and then you had to get the licenses and all. And so no, the, we we've we've not had that for a long time. Um, we've had a big brother state, uh, you know, nanny state. We, so we we've been there. The thing is, is it's getting worse because it's not quite enough. We we have to we have to monitor, uh, you know, every transaction you do from six hundred dollars uh, and above uh, over the entirety of a year, you know, these, like, they're getting more and more crazy with how deep they're going. So I think we're, we're, we're causing enough resistance that it's not, it's not toppled over just yet. We're, we're still, and, and now they're going, this one, they're going broke. Uh, they're, they're going, they're going full bore, balls to the wall. They're going for, you know, the, the, the pandemic, they're killing off people. And then their they're, you know medical treatments in the future are going to be the same junk. And then uh they're they're attempting to overthrow the economy right now with the the way the collapse and everything shut down. Now you have the logistical problems. It's just everything is so poised for this. I mean we're right there. It, 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 we're right on the cusp of uh, teetering over into into a full blown Marxist takeover. It's just there's been enough resistance. So far, that it it's not been allowed to happen yet, and I'm I'm concerned that we're this this one's going to be the the one. This is this is the bullet that'll do it this time. You know, we're uh,
0: we're in the process of also what he mentioned there called normalization. You know, they've been kind of getting everybody used to that term as well. The new normal, yeah, I, I guess a, a a more upbeat way of explaining it to everybody. The new normal, normalization. What's been happening? Exactly what he said. All of these people, all of these, quote, experts have been running around. Oh, we've got it all under control. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. The situation's under control. No, it's not. The situation, as he said, is disgustingly out of control. You don't have control of anything.
3: I think I'm glad you brought that up because I, I forgot about the normalizing part. Look at nine eleven. Right after nine eleven happened, we had the TSA. We had, uh, you know, Department of Homeland Security pop up. And then they got more involved with yeah, the Patriot Act. They got more involved in anti terrorist uh, finger quote, anti-insurgent, and you know, domestic terrorists. All this kind of stuff that became the norm. That that then got it into everybody's mind. Okay, we're, we're the government's trying to protect us. The government is legitimately like doing these things. It it already changed and normalized a nanny state. It normalized even more of a big brother, cameras everywhere. The government, you know, searching uh, your property or um, your data, anything on the grounds of you're a terrorist. It's gotten even worse. They can go in and just say, well, your, your, your house, your car, your cash on you or whatever is related to drugs. So we're, we, we're going to confiscate that without warrant. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to, as, as we've seen in the social realm, Twitter or Facebook, you know, those you say something that's not what the regime wants you to say. Um, as an example, in the beginning, masks don't work. COVID was engineered, you know, came from a lab, you know, all these kind of things, they would get you banned. And honestly, it could get you fired from your job. So it, they're coming at you from every angle, top, uh, top up, and then, you know, or top down, bottom up. And that's what they're doing. They're 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 coming at us from every direction and smashing it.
0: So what can we do? That's the question here is what can we do? There are solutions to this problem, many of which we've mentioned here time and again. Let's hear what Bezmanov's solution to this problem is and then we'll throw in our own. Okay, so
4: what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people? Well, uh, the, uh, the, uh,
1: the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state big brother government, if people will fail to grasp the impending danger of that development, nothing ever can help United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom, including freedoms to to homosexuals, to prison inmates. All this freedom will vanish, evaporate in in five seconds, including your precious lives. Um, the second thing, I, the moment at least part of United States population is convinced that the danger is real, they have to force their government, and I'm not talking about sending letters, signing petitions, and all this beautiful noble activity, I'm talking about forcing United States government to stop aiding communism. Because there is no other problem, more burning and and urgent, than to stop the Soviet military industrial complex from destroying whatever is left of the free world. And it is very easy to do. No credits, no technology, no money, no political or diplomatic recognition, and of course no such idiocy as great deals to USSR. The Soviet people, 270 millions of of Soviets, will be eternally thankful to you if you stop aiding a bunch of murderers who sit now in Kremlin and whom President Reagan respectfully calls government. They do not govern anything, least of all such complexity as the Soviet economy. So basic, two, two very simple, maybe two simplistic answers or solutions, but never, nevertheless, they are the only solutions. Educate yourself, understand what's going on around you. You are not living at the time of peace. You are in a state of war, and you have precious little time to save yourself. Um, you don't have much time, especially if you are talking about young generation. There's not much time left for convulsions, uh, to the beautiful uh, disco music. Very soon it will go, just just overnight. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon. And they will pray to be killed, but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska probably to manage industry of slaves. It's it's simplistic. I know it sounds unpleasant. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocy as, as microfilm, James Bond type, espionage. This is garbage. Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. And you may ask me, what is it in for me? Survival, obviously, because unlike, I, as I said, I am now in your boat. If, if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to.
0: You bring that up to the modern era, right? Obviously, because the USSR doesn't exist anymore, at least as it once did. You bring that up to the modern era. All of these people, you could replace everything that he was saying with China,
2: couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And just real quick, I looked at some numbers while he was talking about because he said there's 270 million Russian people that would be thankful to, I believe is the number you said, right?
0: I 200- 200 some,
2: something like okay, that. Okay, it doesn't yeah. matter. I think that's what he said, 270. So here's the point. We're talking about subversion, let's say, of Russia and America at the same time. Current population of Russia, so it went from 270 to 144. American population was 235 million at, in 1984. Right now, it's 300 and, let's say, 230 million. Okay, so America definitely went up. Russia went way down. So currently, per square miles, there's 23 Russians per one square mile, 94 Americans one square mile. So Americans are so much more concentrated and much more populous. Russia, basically half of, you know, half of a diet off. And there's, you know, 20 people per square mile. That's insane. Even though it's a giant piece of land, it's not that much bigger than America. So, I mean, you can see the diet, complete die off of Russian people. So
3: as you said, China uh, just replace everything he was talking about with the Soviet Union there and replace it with China. And that yeah. that's Literally the same boat we're in. Yeah. Uh, They've done the deals. They, they're literally yeah. making the ropes from which they will hang. Yeah. At, at this point, it's no longer uh, Soviet influence or any of that. Like at this point, we're doing it to ourselves. We've raised multiple generations to be Marxists. I mean, you go to the universities, that's what you get taught is Marxism. So it's not even, it's not even really anymore. Uh, that, well, the seeds were planted in the past. And the thing is, is those seeds have not only uh, grown, but uh, the fruit from those has sprung up new seed as well. And those seeds have grown. And like I said, we're on the verge of being uh, whether or not we teeter over this time for this current crisis or the next crisis. They're building up with the the economy and everything, whether or not that teeters over, then the thing is, is how many more times do we want to risk that chance that we will teeter over? like he said Did- you need to you need to be educating yourselves you need to be uh what well, really de-zombify yourself like uh you know you you need to start staying awake and uh, you know understand what's going on and go back to those fun- fundamental values uh that that really founded the nation i mean go back to as he said the nationalism if you will not not the bad like you know how the media is saying nationalism's bad and everything. They they they're touting new it's words and phrases. That's yeah, part of it's subversion. part of the subversion. Demoralization. Yeah, yeah. It, that that's not nationalism is good. That just means you love your country and are are, are proud of your country. It, it it's not the 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 crazy radical kind that the the you know like um, fascistic in the sense that you focus on your country first and only your country. You no, know, you focus on your country first. Get everybody. Uh, situated here first, secure, stable, then we go out and help others. That's nationalism. And, and, and we, we have to get back to those, those kind of
2: basic principles. What really terrifies me is very simple concept. So think of it this way. I am a king. I have another king who is my enemy. What do I do? I train a soldier. I have the soldier, you know, kill the king. The only other person that threatens me now is the soldier I have, so I kill him too. Think of it. Just like that. You are a tool. Even if you think that you are working for someone, you're being used. And at the end of the day, if you are already in power, what you want to do is you want to get rid of all the tools that got you there so nobody else can too. They want you to be weak and productive in the same time. Weak of body, weak of mind, productive of the, the whatever thing they'll have you do in order to, you know, sustain the, 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 the machine, I guess. Dying off is a very real thing. Like I said, just those numbers, population is going down. Deception is the most important part in any war. Deception, deception and maiming, maiming of the population. You want everybody to be sick. You want everybody to be hurt. You don't want something that, you don't want to create an event that completes a mission and that's it. You want to create something that will forever put your action, your plan on a track. The, the very, very carefully considered small moves that, you know, KGB did, their goals were to set somebody up to be in position for them to be able to set somebody else up and start a plan. I mean, this is so multi-leveled and so carefully planned out that when it really happens, you feel like you see everything. You feel like you are aware of everything that's going on. You are told that this is how it should be. You're led towards perceivably a happier better future you keep hearing the same thing as soon as this is done things will get better as soon as this is over things will get better then they tell you this is life things don't always go the same way but if we complete this if we just do this things will be over it's like a carrot and a donkey they'll lead you on forever the like i said the whole point of this is very um existential it's hard to understand if 99% 99% of people have never been in the same room with a person that has such power over you that they could slice your throat right now and no one would ever know. People don't understand what it's like to have this fear in you, knowing that there's absolutely nothing and no one can do to stop harm that's going towards you. That that horrific fear. Guess what? You are in the same boat right now, except for you're not in a room individually. Your whole house, your neighborhood, your state, your province whatever all of that is in the same room with someone who can off you at any point and completely get away with it the primal fear is covered up by the entertainment we are dying off we are sick we're not happy we're constantly working which work by itself is is very important of course it's healthy if you've been trying for years really hard to change your life to be happier and you're just getting worse and worse and worse realize that it's designed to be that way and all of your actions are futile until you go to the lowest of the bottomest fundamental place in yourself that is subverted in your soul all of this is incredibly existential they're, they're trying to diminish your life force. They're trying to kill you without you even knowing that it's happening because it's done by your own hand. It's it's like the famous joke. The only person that can kill Putin is Putin himself. So have him, you know, give him a bad habit. Who's going to get in trouble if you kill yourself? And that's what's happening. I am in fear, not paranoia. I'm in terrible fear for everyone, not just myself. Paranoia is dangerous. I faced paranoia. I've had breakdowns. I've had panic attacks, I've had horrible anxiety many times in my life. The real, real reality is terrifying. And that's why most people don't wanna look at it. However, it is better to face your fears once and go on than to be scared and confused for the rest of your life. Face your fear once. Let yourself believe in what everything in you tells you. Let yourself believe that the unhappiness that you see around you and you feel in your body and in your mind is not your fault necessary. Most definitely you've been born into a place in life that was designed for you to suffer. The way out is the deepest point of your own psyche. Go back to the roots, jump in the shower, have everybody leave you alone and just sit down and just try not to think at all. See how hard it is not to have a thought. Get good at just sitting there and not thinking at all. And then you will start getting your own thoughts. When you get used to muting the noise that is constantly actually present in your head, it's like a white noise in the background, When you get used to completely quieting everything down, you start getting your own thoughts. And it's a beautiful beginning for your change.
0: I'm not gonna put any fancy outros on this. I'm just gonna let it go. I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna let you have the final word because you could say it better than I ever could. I'm not even gonna attempt to try and top that. I think that was absolutely amazing what you just said. So we're gonna leave it at that. Pavel, Bruce, I wanna thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.